0: in terms of our community uh the the uh, black community when i think about our relationship to to our health to pain to trauma to medical services i just look at it through a historical lens and knowing Mm -hmm. that we have truly every right To be where we are as it relates to our understanding of health and how we navigate and maneuver around health and health issues.
1: Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day to day lives. For season two of this series, we're highlighting stories from Black men the stigmas around caring for their health and bodies beyond fitness and examining masculinity. As always, please share and subscribe if you haven't already. Today we're speaking with Donye Love. Donye is an ever-evolving playwright and advocate for the marginalized, using his voice and story to normalize life with HIV. In August, when this conversation was had, he launched a playwriting workshop for people living with HIV, and I'm excited to see the work that comes out of that and to await what else Donye Love has to share. This is Donye.
0: I am black. I am queer. I am HIV positive. I am a feminist. I am an anti capitalist. I am someone who advocates for individuals who have been pushed to the margins. Mm-hmm. I am someone who believes in the power of softness, who believes in how amazing it is to be soft with yourself, how amazing it is to be soft with others, but first and foremost being soft with oneself that means offering oneself grace. That means forgiving mm-hmm. yourself. I mean how radical that is. I am a firm believer and uh, the power and Black liberation and what that looks like, what that means for Black people to liberate themselves, void of whiteness, void of uh, white supremacy. I am somebody who loves to laugh I'm somebody who loves to joke I'm somebody who believes in the power of joy as well because joy is resistance yeah. so all of these things I think like, of me and there's so many other things that I can't even identify <laughs> I don't have the words to like describe that side or that part of me but I think like mm-hmm. all of these things make up and give I think like a good a good summary of who Danye Rakeem Love is
2: yeah, I love that. I smiled through the whole thing.
0: You can Come see through. cheesy. Come <laughs> all the
2: way through. Oh, such lovely things. But when I looked I kind of just like through all of the multitude of things that you have put your hands on, would you describe yourself as a community builder at all? Mm.
0: What oh, that's a, a really, really beautiful question, Taylor, would I describe myself as a community builder, builder? I would say I am, instead of community builder, I would language myself as someone who holds space for a community, someone who understands that in order to build, there needs to be space first and foremost, right? Because we have to understand what we are building the space upon and where is the space that the building is happening with community. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. instead of community builder, I gravitate more towards an individual who holds space for community, right? Because then mm-hmm. what that means essentially is community can happen anywhere, right? Because right. there is, and of course, obviously I know we're not talking about like a physical space, mm-hmm. but if if we think of it in terms of being able to create space, that means the space can happen anywhere, right? That means the mm-hmm. space can happen right here and right now with what you're doing with this podcast, with this very conversation. Uh, that means the space could happen when I am outside my home, when I am at the park, when I am anywhere, the space can happen. So instead of a community builder, I look at it in terms of someone who is holding space for community to exist wherever the community community needs to exist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's really real. Cause I feel like in a sense, yeah, our communities are built, but they don't have spaces to thrive mm-hmm. and flourish and spread. So that's a good, that's a good distinction, I think.
0: Yeah, truly, truly. And then uh, especially looking at it through the lens of being someone that exists within a marginalized Identity. How yes, you talk about it needing to survive and to thrive, and one of the important things I believe in order for something and someone to survive and to thrive is being able to know what the space is in which you're existing in, right? And how healthy is that space? How affirming is that space? I talked about earlier. i um, describing myself as someone who believes in the power of softness. How soft is uh, the space in which we stand. And I know people talk about having like a solid, firm foundation. Yes. But then also I think Mm -hmm. it's incredibly important to have a soft foundation, right? A Mm -hmm. foundation that is adaptable, a foundation that is able to move and the foundation that's able to shift and a foundation that's able to change to meet the needs of the people. So I think that's also incredibly important as well.
2: Yeah. And just piggybacking off of that, your softness is definitely... One of the things that drew me to you, I think last season I talked to Black women, but this season mm-hmm. I'm talking to Black men. And I think in examining masculinity and all of its nuances, I, there's so many limitations to what's acceptably masculine. Mm-hmm. And I think your exploration of softness and vulnerability was just really captivating to me. And I wondered, like, how would you even describe masculinity? And do you feel or have you felt limited by the traditional definition of that term?
0: I would describe masculinity. And of course, only going off of my experiences, I would Mm -hmm. describe masculinity as being limiting. I would describe masculinity as this force that has inherent hardness to it as this force that exists within a binary as this force that dictates how one should exist and how one should be and I know that growing up like this force literally kicked my ass and this force Mm -hmm. made me feel like I never could amount to or build myself up to what was quote unquote required by this Mm force. And so when I, I think about it in that framework and like those terms, I can also see it being dangerous, right? And I can see it being something that can be shaped and molded into something that can affirm someone, right? If we look at it beyond the binary and what does it look like if a little bit of femininity is mixed into the masculinity, right? And how Mm -hmm. I think important those elements are as well. And I also look at masculinity as a construct. As this thing that has been created to be divisive. As this thing that has been created to make individuals think that this is the top tier. Mm -hmm. If you exist within masculinity, if you are male identified, then you are the shit then you are everything that you're supposed to be. And if you don't exist within this space of masculinity there, then there is something wrong with you, right? And right. so I think how important it is for us to so when we think about terms that exist within such sharp binaries, we need to be able to like critique those terms and to be able to be really strong and like critical in our analysis and why do these terms exist and how important is it to navigate beyond those terms? Even if these are terms that make you feel comfortable, why do these terms right. make you feel comfortable, right? Why yeah. do you see yourself existing within this space? Mm-hmm. And so I think about all of that, and I felt like I just went on such a tangent that I forgot what was the second part of the question. I know it was like <laughs> two parts, right?
2: Yeah, don't worry. I unloaded a lot on you. But second part was Maybe have you ever felt limited by masculinity? And I mean, you mentioned that in in your definition, but are there spaces of masculinity where you felt limited, where you felt like it doesn't encompass all of you?
0: Yeah, and so I I think those those moments and those times where I felt limited by masculinity is when I've allowed other people to define what masculine is, right? When Mm -hmm. I took on this idea and this definition of what masculinity is, the society thrown on me and not feeling like I added up To Mm -hmm. what this definition is and to like what these ideals were. So like those were the times in which I, I didn't feel like I was a part of masculinity and when I was limited by masculinity and the times in which I defined it on my own. And like, what does that mean for me? I wasn't limited and always it had an element of femininity to it. It had a, a element of softness to it and being able to like dibble and dab in a creation that felt like me, that felt all my own.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important rather than shape shifting into yeah. something you don't even recognize. Ain't
0: nobody got time for that.
2: No, Ain't nobody
0: got time for that.
2: We do not. How has being HIV positive, if it has at all, how has it influenced your sense of self or your identity? I mean, you mentioned it even as you described yourself. And I think, okay, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent. Come through. (laughs) This is a larger question. But I mean, you, you are so proud and you are so um, forthcoming. And I, and I just wonder what that journey was like for being, being at this point where you openly disclose it's in your Twitter bio, it's, it's part of you and you want people to know. or so it seems right. So I just wanted to think about that and get your response on those things?
0: I think that's, that's such an important question because it's one of those things where we have to be able to hold space for ourselves, right? And we have Mm. to, as much as possible, like fight for who we are. And it's super fucked up that we exist in a world where individuals have to fight, for Mm -hmm. their existence. For who they are, right? Especially yeah. if those identities do not align with whiteness, with being straight, with being cisgender, with being able-bodied, with being wealthy. And so individuals who exist outside of any of those identities have to fight. And I think it's incredibly important for folks to hold space always and always for themselves and to 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 advocate for themselves. So, so for me, by declaring being HIV positive, it is me holding mighty space for myself because for so long I didn't. For so long I was incredibly scared to just be myself, right? Mm -hmm. To just say this is who I am. And all of what was behind that was stigma and with shame was being, again, taught by the world that who I am is less than, that there is something wrong with me. And so every time, every time someone sees me make a post about being HIV positive, every time someone hears me speak about being HIV positive, I want folks to remember the eight years before disclosing my status where Mm. alcoholism was involved, where depression was involved, where a, Deep sense of hatred for myself was involved, so much so that suicide attempts were involved as well, right? So I Mm. say all that to say, when you hear me talk about being HIV positive, when you see me do a post about being HIV positive, you need to applaud. You need to celebrate, because that means I fought so hard for myself. I believe so deeply deeply in who I am that I decided to say as loudly and as proudly as I am that this is me. And it's so much beauty in who I am. And I also do it not just for that Danier that was in darkness for so long, because I have to have stake in it for myself first and foremost. I also do it for those individuals who are still in a dark space, right? And when I say individuals who are in a dark space, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about individuals who don't share Um, their status. Because there are some folks who are HIV positive who don't share their status and they have every right. I'm talking about those people who are not comfortable in their status, who are not in a space of feeling affirmed and who they are. And so I'm talking about those people as well. So as much as I'm doing it for that Donye, it was in such a dark space. I'm also thinking about my community who is still in a dark space right now, who have not come to grips and to terms with their diagnosis and how important it is to see individuals who are living in their truth and who is public with their truth. And even if it helps that individual to become affirmed in who they are and they decide never to be public, at least there still is some sort of space being held for them within themselves in terms of being who they are. So I think about all of those things as to why it's so important for me to be as proud as I am and as loud as I can be with my status of being HIV positive.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, when you said eight years, you know, that buildup. And I had to tell this to a friend the other day. I think everyone thinks that, we know, everything is so instantaneous. I think everyone thinks that as soon as you get notice of something, or as soon as you come up with an idea, like, you have to, like, it has to be perfect, and you have to be proud of it, and you have to tell everyone. And it's like, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't need, you can hold on to it. And then when it feels right to birth it, birth it then, But you don't have to broadcast everything. And if you do, go for it. Mm -hmm. But I think hearing that eight years, you know, you really sat with it and went through all of those emotions and feelings. I just, the weight of that eight years, I can feel that even just as you said it. And I think that's so important. It's so important to give yourself whatever space and time you need.
0: Yeah, and like have it be on your terms, right? Like it yeah. on your terms, whatever it is that you're navigating through, whatever it is that is a part of your story, it is your story, it is nobody else's but yours. So you have full agency and authority and control. Over how you decide to hold space for that. If you want to do it in a public way, that is your choice, right? Because it's a part of your story. It is your story. If you decide to have it be something that you keep to yourself, that is also your choice because it is your story. Just making sure in whatever decision, right, you always hold space for you, the most healthiest space that you can hold for yourself, the most affirming space that you can hold for yourself. the space that you can hold for yourself and whatever choice you decide to make because this is your story and your choice to make
2: yeah speaking of stories and making them
0: come through segue <laughs> you better give us a good old segue you did that
2: things i did check
0: Come through.
2: <laughs> you wrote you wrote one and two your play mm-hmm. how long after your diagnosis did you write that i mean I've seen, you know, the articles and, you know, you didn't even think you would actually release it. You're just typing it up on your phone. What was that process? And I mean, I, I, you know, also read you just being like, at a certain point, you knew that you had to, it wasn't just about you. It wasn't just about your catharsis. It was about the larger, you know, picture. What was that like?
0: It was to date the most challenging it was the most divine it was the scariest it was the most memorable process that i've been through as an artist specifically Mm -hmm. as a playwright having their work put out there to the world specifically a work that is essentially your story being put out there to the world and like i just want to share Often, well, not oftentimes, because there are some writers that don't do this at all, but there are a nice amount of writers who it's inevitable with their work, somehow, some way, they're put into their work, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's through one particular character or whether there's like a moment that might have happened in their life, they dramatize that moment, whatever the case may be, they somehow, as a writer, put themselves in the work to a certain degree. With my play one and two, not only did I put myself into the work, I was the work, right? Like Mm -hmm. my story was the play. And so thinking about that, it was incredibly, like I said, all of those things that I mentioned, challenging, memorable, fearful, exciting. And I started writing the play and the end of two thousand and 18, because and I was okay. approaching that year, the 10th year marker of being HIV positive. And mm. it was super odd, because I thought at that point, I've been public with my status for two years. Mm-hmm. So I thought that when I was when I were to approach the 10 year marker, that it would be like a very victorious right. place that I would be in like, I did it, I made it. But I found myself getting depressed again, and I found mm. myself in a space that felt reminiscent to when I was first diagnosed. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why am I here right now? And it was the type of uh, a depression where I couldn't get out of bed. And so what always helps me through and helps me navigate any emotion is writing. So what's always, Mm -hmm. literally my phone is right next to me right now. That's the thing that's always next to me. So I grabbed my (laughs) phone when I was laying in bed, I went to the note apps and I just started to write the play and essentially What I was writing was the the last 10 years of what it was like for me to be HIV positive. Like I mentioned earlier, chronicling the depression I had, chronicling the alcoholism, chronicling the suicidal attempts, like all of these things I threw in there and then also putting the hope that I had, that I still do have as someone being HIV positive, putting the joy that I have as someone who's HIV positive. Because seldom what I've noticed is stories surrounding HIV and AIDS, are there ever joy? There's always a right. woe is me. My life is over. I'm going to cry the rest of my life. So I wanted to hold space for all of those things. So I wrote the play. And when I was finished, I said, oh, hell to the gnaw. You ain't letting nobody read this thing. You done shared too much. You spilled too much tea. This is right. This is just for you and God. Ain't nobody going to see it. So I left it alone. Exactly. I left it alone. And then, fast forward a few weeks after writing it, someone reached out to me and they told me that a friend of theirs was recently diagnosed with HIV and they weren't taking it well. That they were drinking excessively, which I know all about, Mm -hmm. told me that they were having reckless sex, which I knew all about. And they told me that they weren't taking their meds, which I knew all about. And Mm -hmm. this person asked if I could meet with this recently diagnosed person. And I did. And when we met, I didn't say much because that was a moment when I could tell that this recently diagnosed person, they just needed to talk. They needed to say everything that they were feeling, that they were thinking, and they needed to say it to someone who they believed could understand what they were going through. And Mm -hmm. so everything he shared reminded me of myself. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, wow, is this a rite of passage specifically For black, gay, or bisexual men. And I say specifically Mm -hmm. for black, gay, or bisexual men because my play one and two gets its name from a statistic that the CDC released in 2016. And that statistic projected that one in two black, gay, or bisexual men will be diagnosed with HIV in their lifetime. And this is compared to one in 11 white gay or bisexual men being diagnosed with HIV in their lifetime, right? And so I say that statistic and talking about this young man who was recently diagnosed and saying that I wondered with hearing everything he said and relating to what he was saying, I wonder with this a rite of passage if 50% of black gay or bisexual men are projected to be diagnosed with HIV in their lifetime. And so after this young man and I met, as I was walking to the train, I started thinking about the play on the note section of my phone. And mm. I said to myself, it may be your story, Danye, but it does not belong to you. It does not belong yeah. to you. It belongs to so many folks. And I would not be doing Um, my community, because we talked about community earlier. I would not Mm -hmm. be doing my community justice. I would not be holding space for my community if I did not share this play. And knowing that I have a certain amount of resources and access and privilege as a theater maker to make sure that this play gets out there. And so that's how it came to be. And when it came time for a fully realized production, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I got this. And I thought that yeah. I had systems in place for it to be the safest process for me. Systems in place meaning talking to the theater, making sure that they understood how personal this play is, making sure that my director knew, making sure that the stage management knew, making sure that everyone of uh, quote unquote importance in the project knew how a personal display is so that I can make sure that I'm protected throughout the process. And so I say all that to say that when rehearsal started, it was a completely different story. It literally gave trauma. It gave Uh. trigger after trigger after trigger. And it blew my mind because beforehand, the workshops of the play, the readings of the play, the conversations beforehand, it was Everything all easy breezy. It was smooth. It was easy breezy, beautiful copper girl. So <laughs> when we get to the rehearsal, I was gagged. Like, why yeah. is this such a trigger for me? And it was such a trigger because unlike the readings, the workshops of the play, with this actual rehearsal process, we were actually putting it up. A- up on his feet, we were actually seeing it fully realized, right? Mm-hmm. And so what that meant mm-hmm. is that I had to actually watch my alcoholism be played out in these actors, right? Mm-hmm. I actually, the moment where it was the, the most challenging is when we first rehearsed, and I remember the day too, when we first rehearsed, there's a scene um, where my suicide attempt is reenacted. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the actor go through this moment and everything came back. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Everything came back as if it was not yesterday, but as if it was 15 minutes ago. I walked out of the space and I didn't come back until rehearsal was over. And I told my director and stage management that I won't be back in rehearsal. I'll be back later in the process. I don't know when, but right now, it is not safe for me to be here. And I think I might have missed maybe a week and a half of rehearsal. And when I came back, every time that they rehearsed that scene, a system was set in place because they knew I would leave the rehearsal space and they Mm -hmm. did the scene because, of course, the show must go on. And when the scene was over, someone from the team came out and let me know that the scene was uh, done, and they would, and so I could know to come back in if I chose to come back in. And so we had to really figure out what was a system to still do the work, to still create a story, but also to honor me in the process as well. And it was incredibly difficult. And then talking about the rehearsal process when we actually got to the theater. And when we had audiences come into the show, me having to watch my play with my my story with complete strangers was mm-hmm. also incredibly challenging. And having to navigate through all of those things, where um, being honest with you, I felt myself wanting to drink again. Mm-hmm. I felt myself having suicidal ideations again. Mm-hmm. I remember during the process, I think it might have been the. The first day of previews, when audiences came uh, to watch the show, I actually had to go to the doctors, and I started taking um anxiety medication because that's how intense the process was for me. And I share all of the trauma that I experienced during the process to share. It felt lifted, and it felt like I was able to navigate through swifter than I could have because of the men who saw the play and who messaged me or who came up to me directly afterward and who literally said, I am one in every two, who said, thank you for putting my story up there. Thank you for sharing. I remember this one man, and I wanna be really clear, since I know the play, I knew when the play was about to be over. So Mm -hmm. trust and believe, Five minutes play was over, my ass had my coat and I was out the door. I was like, I cannot, I cannot be here at the end. I don't feel like talking to people. Like I am too exhausted and too drained. So I am out. Literally my director knew still deal was. Like we had a whole process around how we would get going afterwards because I wouldn't be there. So as I'm, as I'm doing this, literally still putting my coat on, trying to leave the theater, um, a man, who saw the play the day before, came back again to the theater. Um, and as I'm literally, literally trying to run out of the damn theater, he says, uh, excuse me, are you Donye Love? I said, yes, I'm Donye. Probably looking all crazy. He said, um, I just want to let you know that my name is such and such, and I'm also HIV positive. And the way he said it, it felt to me as if he's been wanting to say that exact thing sentence for so long. My name is such and such and I'm HIV positive. Like he's been wanting badly to just speak his name and to also say I'm HIV positive in the same sentence. And to see how light he felt, to see the smile on his face. And I feel myself getting emotional just thinking about it. And to see the smile on his face as he said this to me was another powerful reminder as to how important that story was and why it was so true. That thing I thought after leaving that young man, that thought of, remember that play on your phone? It is not just about you, it is bigger than you. And hearing this man now fast forward almost a year later in the theater talking to me, sharing his status with me, let me know why one and two is so important. And how we need to hold space for ourselves first and foremost. And if we're able to, if we have the strength and the wherewithal to also hold space for our community as well.
2: Yeah, that is no easy task. Mm-hmm. You're literally bearing the darkest depths of your soul to people in real time and witnessing it. That is, I... I I'm a filmmaker and writer too so I I cringe even when a piece I'm doing is showing and it's not even live actors you know you, there's just an attachment to the things that you create and especially when they're tied to your truths, that is just unlike any Absolutely.
0: And then I had the damn nerve to try to be like theatrical with it where the audience picks who will be like the main character. So that the extra anxiety of not just sharing my personal story, but now I have the anxiety of literally the actors in live time in front of an audience having to figure out who will be this character. What the like what in the hell were you thinking? You just you just wanted to give yourself all the anxiety with this didn't you. <laughs>
2: go fully off (laughs) well I'm I mean I'm sure on the other end you went through hell but it must feel so worth it and so validating on the other side like you said to hear not only you know get that off of your chest but to help support everyone else who's also going through that's 50 percent of a huge population of people that have limited representation in this space, you know, and seldom see their stories. So, I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's huge. How would you describe your art? I mean, you do so many different things, but how would you describe it?
0: That's, That's a good question. I would describe my art as a healing space for Black people specifically to see themselves, to see themselves in the fullness of who they are. I would describe my work as an experiment of imagination, right? Of what does it Mm -hmm. look like to be able to see ourselves in exactly where we are and to also imagine ourselves and where we can go. And what does that look like? I would describe Mm -hmm. my work as a radical reshifting of our history. And what does it look like to write ourselves into history in a way that deep down inside, on an ancestral level, we know that we've always existed but history has never told us. History has never allowed that uh, to come to be. And looking at it, yes, through a Black lens, through a queer lens, through a feminist lens, through Mm -hmm. a disabled lens, I think being able to hold space for the most marginalized of the most marginalized of the most marginalized is incredibly important. And I would also hope, above all, that my work is liberating that mm-hmm. people who feel as if they have been pushed so far to the margins are liberated enough to move to the center to be celebrated at the center and to be lifted as much as possible while they're in the center
2: Yeah I I think your art is it does all of those things that you describe and I I think what I've enjoyed is your your series. I think it's art. I think in the time, especially of COVID, I think any conversations, many conversations that have come out of this have been art, mm-hmm. but your, your series, your About Me section mm-hmm. series.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think it's been so, I've watched a few and it's just, it's refreshing because not only are these conversations kind of a catalyst to breaking down stigma, but you talk about normal, normal things, intimacy with your partner and HIV, just in normal conversations, but not, it's not, you know, centered around that. You also, you do this lovely thing where you allow, like when something profound is stated or really provocative, you just hold that space and like, let that thought linger. Mm. And I really love that. And I just wanted to know like, what was the impetus in starting it and how long have you been doing it? I don't know if you were doing it before quarantine, yeah. but what's yeah. kind of the origin story of that?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I just want to uh, say before I uh, answer that question, you mentioned and you commented on just talking about in these conversations with the about me section of just these like normal things that people uh, living with HIV do, right? Intimacy with a partner, going to the store, whatever the case may be, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's so important and to language it that way, because it is incredibly normal. Our lives are incredibly Normal, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, taking it, extending it beyond individuals who are HIV positive, thinking about the trans community, their lives are incredibly normal, right? Mm -hmm. Queer folks, our lives are incredibly normal. Black people, our lives are incredibly normal. And I keep throwing out this word normal because of how important it is to normalize our humanity, to normalize. Mm -hmm our existence because so many systems are at place saying that we are abnormal. So many systems are at place saying that we don't have the right to live a quote unquote normal life, right? And so I I thank you for throwing that word out there so casually because it deserves to be thrown out so casually because it is what it is, which is being normal, living a Mm -hmm. normal life life right Mm -hmm. under the circumstances the society has placed on you and made you think that it's not normal at all right Um, yeah and so i I just want to just wanted to like throw that out there and and in terms of your question Mm -hmm. i started the about me section literally i just (laughs) i just woke up one morning and i was like i want to talk to people who are hiv positive (laughs) <laughs> like I want to talk to people who are HIV positive in a public way at that. yeah, um, And yeah. I want to talk to people who are HIV positive in a public way during a time where we absurdly have to fight for Black lives mattering. And for me, mm-hmm. it was also wanting to center Black people living with HIV within the conversation. Because so often, Whenever there is a revolutionary moment in terms of Black life, in terms of civil rights, it always feels like that revolution is surrounding a Black, cisgendered, heterosexual man who's Mm able-bodied. So what does it look like? To be able to have a conversation around th- the importance of Black life, of how Black lives matter, of how, as you said, Black lives, all Black lives are normal. What does it look like to be able to normalize and to be able to have the conversation be expanded to and center Black people living with HIV? So I just thought about people who I know who are HIV positive and reached out to some folks who I don't know personally, but I've heard so much about. I was like, "Hey, I'm doing this thing, and it's literally just us talking. I'll have I'll mm-hmm. have some questions, but it's not an interview. It's literally just us talking, and it just so happens that we're both HIV positive, right? What does mm-hmm. that look like to hear two people who are HIV positive just talk?" We may talk mm-hmm. about what our journey is of being HIV positive, or we might talk about the last thing we ate. We might talk about mm-hmm. the last time we had sex. We might talk about the last thing we watched on TV or the last post we liked on Instagram, right? We may talk about something that has nothing to do with our status because all of that is also a part of our lives and our existence as well, because all of that as our HIV status is normal as well.
2: Yeah, I think it. it's so... Simple but so profound. Like these conversations should happen, and people need to see these conversations. And there's so many good takeaways from the the episodes too. Yeah, I find I, myself like jotting things down. Same here yeah.
0: I was getting my entire life and just hearing like the knowledge and the wisdom. I felt honored just being on that IG Live with uh with folks, just hearing what they had to say. And so as much as I would stop and hold space for a moment for something that was said, mm-hmm. no shade, it wasn't for the viewers. It was for me. It was so I can yeah, be to I didn't
2: digest to, it. To
0: <laughs> what was just said because it was so mighty. And I just wanted to make yeah. sure that I digest, right? That I understand what was said and how can I incorporate that into my everyday life?
2: Yeah, I think one of your guests said, my difference is my superpower, mm. and I
0: was just like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god!" <laughs> hmm, hmm, hmm. I, I, I think about my best friend who, who watched, and she told me she watched the first guest, uh, Jamar Rogers, an amazing mm-hmm. guy, and how he talked about where. Just about every day, he has to like literally look in the mirror and talk to himself. And he talks to himself um, as if he's a baby, Mm -hmm. just to like nurture himself in that way that like you would nurture a baby, that you would talk to a baby, that you would love a baby. And I share that to say my um, best friend, I think it might've been like even last week, she was telling me how like she still does that like to this to this day after hearing Jamar talk about that like that's something mm-hmm. that she has incorporated like into her life of like talking to herself in this way as if like she's a little baby girl and she's being so soft and so nurturing and so loving with herself and how she says it's so important and how it literally like helps her throughout her day to do this
2: yeah it's huge. I think I'm like and thank God for technology and thank God for like this. I don't know. I think lots of gyms. I really, really have been enjoying
0: it. For mm-hmm. me, with the about me section and with all of my work, no shade, I am tired of feeling like I have to talk to these individuals that has this amount of access or resources or power. Mm-hmm. Right. I am doing the work for my people so when i think about the about me section it never was so that um hiv negative folks can get a sense of what does it mean to be hiv positive the conversation has always been for individuals who are hiv positive right right so So it's for us to normalize ourselves amongst ourselves and One of the beautiful things about that as well with how technology works nowadays is anybody in a grandmom can experience a thing. So that means other folks can experience as well, and they can be a part of the normalizing. But essentially, my work is always for my people, right? And thinking about being a playwright, my plays are always for Black people, for Black queer people, for Black queer and HIV positive people, right? And it just so happens if you don't identify as any of these, you can still, Experience the work but no shade know that it wasn't created for you at all
2: for you not at all. all yeah yeah i think that's an important distinction especially in the moment we're in where i i find a lot of my black friends feel they might like they have this some of them not all have this feeling that they need to educate the white populace on everything black and that's not our job Absolutely. and not. i think the distinction of visibility rather than educating people who are not in this group is so important because like you said, it's not for you. As Solange would say, don't sing along. Like you this not- <laughs> <laughs> I like that distinction.
0: Yeah, it's it's so important. It's so yeah. so important because we can, myself included, right? We can get lost in like who the work, who the message who the community is that we're cultivating. And I just, I, I, I always make it um, very transparent that the community that I am holding space for is black, black and queer. Black and queer and HIV positive, right? That doesn't mean that if you don't identify as any of these things that you aren't welcomed, but just know that this is who the space is being held for. And be clear that there may be moments where you aren't welcomed. And that's okay too. You need to understand that you aren't welcomed. So I think Mm -hmm. all of those things are like really important to be able to talk about so so that we don't get lost and shuffle and within the yeah. conversation
2: yeah my last question and I ask every guest this question and it's just up for your interpretation but in times especially now what is something that makes you feel at peace and grounded in that feeling
0: uh, what's something that makes me feel at peace and grounded and feeling at peace there's actually a multitude of things that makes me feel at peace one of the Things is so I am a Taurus, which means I am oh a homebody. Don't know, oh boy. I and so I say that to say I am such a homebody. I love being at home so much so that when quarantine happened, I know there were like folks freaking out about like being at home, especially like when we were like in it for like the first two weeks or the first month, folks was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? I need to be out, I wanna be out. I was like, oh, I am living my life.
2: I'm like good. I feel so good right I'm
0: here. now. on this leave. sofa, like this is everything. And, you know, I say that to say, uh, peace for me is being at home, like little, being in bed. I can go uh, days just like being, in bed, and I'm, I'm I'm talking about on the other side of depression, right? Like not being in bed because mm-hmm. I'm in this like depressed state. Mm-hmm. Just being in bed, cause I'm so comfortable, and so uh, that brings me so much peace. Um, yeah, reading brings me like give me a good ass book that brings me peace. Give me a good ass TV show to binge that gives mm-hmm. me peace. Being mm-hmm. able to hold space with my like loved ones that brings me a lot of peace. And with all that being said what like what I think for me is a good uh summary of all of those things is my husband, like when I'm able to like lay with him, when I'm able to like talk with him, when I'm able to like share something that I just watched or read with him, like that brings me peace and also taking a good ass bubble bath with some warm water and some candles lit like all of those things brings me so much peace
1: beyond ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me taylor camille a variety of the series artwork shared here and on our instagram at beyond ourselves are created by carmen johns and sierra hood my hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info at and subscribe and share if you haven't already.